the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California bar-admitted attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So in addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, and my life's observation, as well as my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice the related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference point, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business financial areas, I've spent a greater part of the last 40 years both before and after obtaining my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people of color, including communities of color and indigenous people. And because, as I've shared with you in the past, I grew up as a military brat, you know, traveling from state to state, north to south with both my dad and also later on when my parents broke up, my mother remarried a military person. So I've always lived in a family with soldiers. And so I know firsthand just how hard it can be financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our less than sometimes patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I've shared with you before, because I've had the great fortune to know and spend a great deal of time and actually become friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived what I call the four great economic challenges in the 20th century, that is to say the Great Depression, World War II, 
and unfortunately, the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. As such, and as these women raised me and loved me and and helped, you know, shared with me the stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South that I spent some time with them in, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who, along with me and urging me on when the situation is right, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and disabled individuals who find themselves targets and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you could ever imagine that's running rampant in our society today. So uh, the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to our money and more probably than not these days of high inflation, the lack thereof, and our overall finances and what we need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate our or our families or our businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational form for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you have a legal issue that intersects with your assets, your debts, or your other financial issues, whatever they may be. So as you know, yesterday, Friday, June the 24th, 2022, the United States Supreme Court announced its decision and confirmed more or less what had been leaked out for the last month or so in the Dodds versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case, the Dodds case. And it's out of Mississippi. And as I've shared with you, that's where I was both born and where I gave birth to my own child. Now, um, in that particular case, it's a matter of, you know, uh, what the, they, the, the um, actual question presented to the, C, the Supreme Court for review was Mississippi's gestational age act that prohibits uh, terminations after 15 weeks gestation, except in medical emergencies in cases of severe fetal abnormality. Now, this law replaced uh, the viability standard created by Roe and a case called Casey, which the medical community estimates the gestational age where the fetus could live outside the womb to be 24 weeks. And yesterday's decision allows Mississippi to cut off access to legal abortion after nine weeks. So although the court was asked to just examine that pre-viability access election up to 24 versus 15 weeks as articulated in Wade and Roe v. Wade and also in Casey, um, because the 
the political system uh, and what's going on in our society today with divisions along the lines of what a woman can and cannot do with her body, um, it was used to tee up the question of whether an abortion is something that's uh, allowed under our constitution at all. And in fact, let me quote you what the case said. It said the constitution makes no reference to abortion, and that's correct, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely. That is to say the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicitly in the concept of ordered liberty, in quotation marks. Continue on, the right to abortion does not fall within this category. Um, the author of the um, opinion states, until the latter part of the 20th century, such rights were entirely unknown in American law. Well, you know, that's not quite correct. And I give, give an indication of this before on some of my shows. Now, just for context, just a bit about our federal system. We all know we have three co-equal branches of government. The first is the legislative branch, that's Congress and the Senate. They create our laws. Second, we have the executive branch, that's the office of the president, who must take care that all laws created by the legislative branch are faithfully executed. And third, there's the judicial branch, and that's the Supreme Court and all inferior federal courts. As you can imagine, all three branches have ample resources to conduct their due diligence and to make sure they put forth only rationally based, well-researched, and well-articulated work product. In the case of the branch that makes the law, that is to say Congress and the Senate, it uses the Congressional Research Service. Um, the Congressional Research Service is a public policy research institute of the United States Congress, and it operates within, it's a branch within the Library of Congress. It works primarily and directly for members of Congress and their committees, the staff, and they produce confidential nonpartisan material upon which Congress can rely to write and get our laws implemented. Thus, the Congressional Research Service is sometimes known as Congress's think tank due to its broad mandate of providing research and analysis on all matters relevant to national policymaking. The Congressional Research Service has roughly 600 employees reflecting a wide variety of expertise and discipline, including lawyers, economists, research librarians, and science. And the last year for which there's some uh, fiscal information, which is 2016, um, Congress appropriated a budget 
of 106.9 million. So I gave you this background on the Congressional Research Service to say this, um, which, which you can find located at loc.gov, which stands for uh, Library of Congress. And you can put some faith into the credibility of this report, one of which is entitled Abortion Law Development, a brief overview dated January 2, 2001. And it was written by Karen J. Lewis and John Shimabukio, both legislative attorneys. In section one of their paper entitled Development and Status of Law Prior to 1973, the authors state, and I quote, the law with respect to abortion in the mid-19th century America followed existing common law of England in all but a few states. Thus, no indictment could occur for aborting a fetus of a consenting female prior to quickening. But, but by the time of the Civil War, an influential anti-abortion movement began to affect legislation by inducing states to add or otherwise revise their, state, their statutes in order to prohibit all abortion. And as I've shared with you before, the influential anti-abortion group was led by the newly formed American medical associations that were hell-bent on taking over the business of birthing babies from American midwives who, since time immemorial, were responsible for both birthing and terminating pregnancies without being considered a crime and was actually advertised and was done in the privacy of a woman's boudoir. So my, that's my criticism. If you're going to make something that's so pronounced and so important, please get your facts straight. So when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion. But first, we're going to take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on why I'm going to such lengths to talk about this matter at all. After all, isn't this show supposed to be about the law as it intersects with finance and economics on a platform that reaches out to and serves an audience of people of faith? Yes, and that's the very reason why I'm Approaching this subject in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision. And it is because this show is about the intersection of law and finance and economics, such as how can a government use its judicial power to compel a majority of its citizens? As you know, women make up 51% of the population of the United States. How can our government um, make a decision to undertake a course of action that not only takes away a woman's right to control her own bodily function, it also compels her to undertake an at least 18-year financial commitment to rear and support a brand new human being, a human being with its own set of financial and emotional needs that the woman or girl may not be able to provide for on her own with no financial or emotional help from anyone, including the government that now compels her to undertake 
this decades-long financial burden that she and many others like her can ill afford. Now, I say, again, there is no... There is such a thing as a female human being being too young or too old or too ill or too poor to be able to raise a child on her own without her own or someone else's tribe pitching in to help out. Most of us, if we are truthful to ourselves and to our God, will admit that when, even when we have a life's partner who is not only committed to us, and to any child that we might bear, there are times when we need others in our tribe to come in and help us out. Now, I shared with you before that I had an unexpected pregnancy when I was 17, a senior getting ready to go off to college with a very bright future, including a diamond ring on my finger from a man who wanted to marry me. But I am an adult. And I have to tell you, looking back at that time when I was 17, as I was neither without the financial wherewithal of my family and my future husband and the emotional resources and love and respect from both my family, including my ultra conservative grandfather and my baby's daddy, who were ready uh, to give me what I needed to get through my pregnancy and start a new family surrounded with love. But what if I was without those important facts and circumstances? What if I had been raped? Or what if I was all along, all alone? If I'm honest with myself, I'd have to say, I don't know what I would have done. And is that single doubt and my firmly held belief as a person of faith that in the words of Queen Elizabeth I of England, in an article in The America, the Jesuits Review, a magazine of the faithful, and written by Reverend Terence W. Klein, a priest of the Diocese of Dodge City, and an author in Vanity Faith. Queen Elizabeth said, upon assuming the crown, she famously told her subjects, I have no desire to make windows into men's souls. Like so much of Europe in the 16th century, England had been violently divided over the question of religion. Many of Elizabeth's subjects didn't think that she had gone far enough with reform and others couldn't understand why their Catholic faith should be abandoned. No one in the 16th century believed a religiously divided nation could prosper. Elizabeth wanted to impose a common prayer book upon all her subjects and leave it, the interpretation of its words to the individual. Hence her declaration, I have no desire to make windows into men's souls. Opinion is still divided as to whether or not that worked. But, and this is a priest talking, no government should intrude upon the consciousness of its citizens. So this is a story I've long known about and believed. As a lifelong adherence to the Anglican communion, we all have to respect the rights to interpret and adherence to our faith 
with our maker through his grace, what he reveals to us. I fear that our government's newly found right to make us believe and act as its power base sees fit is just not right. You know, I also want to take a moment to thank those of you who have gotten in touch with me because of these particular shows. You know, you ask some questions and I'm just going to be honest with you. No, my my dad did not applaud the fact that I got pregnant when I was 17. But my dad was has always been a big fan of mine. He respected me when I came and asked him um, to allow me to have contraceptives. He thought that that was very mature of me and my my boyfriend to think about these things. And that's why he signed off on it, not because he wanted his daughter to go out and become promiscuous. He thought that since I broached the subject, that he would support me. So no, my dad was not uh, contributing to my delinquency. He was doing what he thought his job was to do because I came to my father when I was 14. He thought that his job was to raise help raise or help finish off raising a young woman who could think and act and do for herself. And so my bringing this subject to him, he actually was not happy, but he was happy in the sense that I felt confident enough to discuss the matter with him. And he thought that it was an appropriate response because quite frankly, if any of you out there think that you're children and junior and juniors and seniors in high school aren't engaging in some kind of activity with their boyfriends and girlfriends. I got a, I got a, a, a bridge that I can sell you in Brooklyn. Um, so I, I, I wanted to share that with you. Um, my dad raised his voice to me twice my entire life. Once when I was a little girl for playing around with my older brother and my cousin, Gerald, who introduced me <laughs> to my future husband. <laughs> but back when we were little kids, we were playing on the railroad tracks and he beat the crap out of them because he had to remind them that I was a little girl and none of us should have been playing on the railroad track. And that was when I was five and a half, six years old. And the next time had to do with my becoming pregnant and it's not what what people think not that i came to him and told him that i um, thought it was time that i take contraceptives and it wasn't even when i told him that i was pregnant because the contraceptives fail my dad got angry with me because he knew i wasn't too young to have a child because i was having one but he thought i should not get married because he was fearful that i would not complete my education but I got to tell you, this story has a really happy ending for me and my dad. I decided to get married, and he knew that if I got married, I would go off with my husband, and I did. But I came back to have have my child and spend time with my grandmother, who was my doula. And I'll tell you what that means in another show. But I almost succumbed to, um, I almost died in, in childbirth. And when I woke up, there was somebody holding my hand. And it was my dad. And he told me how much he loved me. And he expected me to complete my education. He didn't give a damn if I was married. 
He didn't care how long it took. He would always be there to help me. That's why I love him so much. He's a wonderful person. So if you don't have a dad like my dad and you don't have anybody to love you and help you when you get sidetracked in life, know that I care and I know that sometimes you're going to make a decision that I would never make. And I don't have a right to judge you. I must compel you to talk to your creator about it. Talk to your family about it. Do what you think is right. And while I would not have an abortion, I'm not going to judge you. I want to try to help you. But the reason why I'm talking about it, it's a financial commitment that is extremely hard to make and live up to. It's an uphill battle. And so even if you have a husband, raising a child is very expensive. That's what I'm talking about. And government should not compel you to have a child unless it's going to help you raise it financially. So with that, I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing here on Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law including the laws that will help us live our lives with the full benefit of the Constitution, including our right to privacy and liberty under the Ninth and Fourteenth Amendments. So when we get together next time, until then, I once again ask you to please get vaccinated and boosted. And even if you have all your shots, but especially if you don't, Please take the necessary precautions to protect not only yourselves and your families, but all those that you come into contact with, including me, by keeping your social distance, masking up, and washing your hands. Till next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.